Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right in uh, here with our, our sermon today as the ushers wrap up. And uh, as you know, or, or maybe this is the first time, so, so you're catching up with us, but we are now today smack dab in the middle of our series on parenting. And in case you didn't figure out from the title of our series, we go ahead and we are going to acknowledge for you that um, it's not always, uh, you know, awesome. No, wait, it's always awesome. It's not always easy. Uh, there are times when this gets difficult. We understand that because, well, the world is difficult. And so we're not trying to sugarcoat anything for you. We're not trying to, uh, to tell you that, oh, having children is the easiest thing that you'll ever do in your life. We know that's not true. It's awesome. It's great. We wouldn't trade it, uh, but the struggle is very much real. And so we're about halfway through our series. And just by way of recap, and I'm going to tell you if, if you've missed, uh, you can always catch up online a little bit. Uh, but here's where we've gone so far. Here's what we know. We know that our number one goal as parents, this is your parenting mission statement. If you are here this morning and you are a parent, grandparent, you are important in the life of somebody, okay, we need to course correct if this is not your number one goal. There's too much at stake for this not to be your number one goal. Okay, I want my kids to have a happy life. I want them to be popular. I want them to be good at stuff. I want them to make lots of money so they can support me in my old age. Nursing care is expensive, right? But my number one goal for them, yours needs to be too, is to get our kids to be adults who love Jesus more than they love anything else. Period. Listen to me. There's too much at stake for that not to be your number one goal. Eternity is at stake. That needs to be our number one goal, too. Uh, then then we, we looked at that. Okay, so if we want to raise our kids so that they love Jesus more than they love anything else, then all the rest of these things are in service to that. Uh, we read in Ephesians 6 that one of the ways that we raise them this way is that we disciple them in honor and obedience. We train our children up in honor and obedience. Uh, we start with them honoring and being obedient to us as parents, as authority figures. Why? Because that's a great picture. It's a great picture of who God is to them. You are your kid's first picture of God. Just is what it is, okay? Uh, for some of you, that should be a really scary thought because this God of the universe that we're asking them to submit to and trust, they look at you, moms and dads, Sometimes grandparents, uh, they look at you and, and they, they paint that picture, what God is like, okay? And then last week we discussed that the way to disciple them to honor and obedience um, is by using the tools that God has given us in Ephesians 6-4 of discipline and instruction. And as soon as we start talking discipline, as parents, I know there's a lot of different thoughts and ideas out there about what discipline looks like. Just as a very fast reminder here, some of the highlights do use natural consequences where it's appropriate, where the price tag is cheap enough, okay? Use logical consequences where it makes sense. Structured, isolation sometimes can work as long as it's something that leads to repentance, you know, groundings and timeouts, as long as they lead to repentance. Um, physical discipline when appropriate, okay? When appropriate, Physical discipline is never because I'm overly frustrated and I don't know what to do next, but it's because it's appropriate. Don't threaten. Don't repeat yourself over and over again. 
Don't bribe your kids. Don't negotiate with them. Those things only disciple them to disobedience. Okay, and then last thing we looked at was this. This is just a last case reminder again. Catch up online. If you haven't heard these but you're interested, get online. You can catch up. You can hear these. Okay, minor infractions. You know what? Use minor discipline, right? Verbal correction, passive correction. If it's a little bit more serious, then the discipline gets a little bit more active, doesn't it? Right? Then we need to step in and we need to actually impose discipline instead of letting it just happen naturally. And then major infractions, you know what? Those require the full weight of the law. This is how you be sure that you're not overreacting to your kids. Again, you don't ever discipline because you're frustrated. You don't discipline because you're irritated. You discipline because the discipline that you give meets the level of the behavior. Okay? Again, you can catch up online, but this is just a kind of a walk through where we've been and what God has to say about this so far. Um, and it's all important because our number one goal is to disciple them in um, honor and obedience so that they'll love Jesus more than they love anything else as they get to be adults. And here's where we get today. And this is uh, maybe some of you that have younger kids. If you haven't worried about this yet, sorry, because you'll have to now. Because uh, I'm going to point it out to you. And those of you that have older kids, you've been there, you've worried about this. Those of you that have kids out of the house, maybe you've experienced this firsthand. Some of you um, who are, I mean, we're all kids to a degree, but some of you who are younger than me by a good stretch, um, some of you have parents, grandparents, who are terribly concerned about this for you. Okay? But our, our big question simply is, what will they believe once they leave the home? What do they believe when they leave the home? What we really want to know is, is it true for them? Is their Christianity real for them? Is it a game they're playing because they know that we're in charge of them at this point in time? What happens when I no longer have institutional control over my kids? I can tell you that I was terrified about that. For Riley, most of you know Riley. Riley's 24. She's doing great. She's a, a good Christian young woman. She makes mistakes, but she daily asks for forgiveness, and she's growing in her faith. But I can tell you that as the parent of an 18-year-old Riley, I was terrified about her going off to college, terrified about the idea that she would be moving off to college, and, and I would no longer have control over what she was and wasn't doing. What she believed and what she didn't believe. What she participated in and what she didn't participate in. My opportunity to be in charge of that kind of goes out the window when my opportunity to be in charge of her ends. And so we struggle with this. We want to know what will they believe when they leave the home. And it's not because we worry. It's, you know, it's like, oh, well, you guys just worry for nothing. No, because statistics tell us this is a concern. Well over two-thirds, actually 70%. Okay, uh, current, current statistics, 70% of children drop out of church between the ages of 18 and 22. So if you take, um, if you take 100 kids um, that are attending church actively, they're coming with their parents, active church attendance, by the way, is two times a month, according to the research. So you're coming to church two times a month, okay, with your family. Maybe you're involved in other things, maybe you're not, but you're coming two times a month. And we've got 100 of those teenagers between the years of 18 to 22. Research tells us good statistics. This isn't made up stuff. This is good stuff. 
70% of those, 70 of those 100 will stop attending church. Okay? You can see usually when it happens. Um, usually it's around that senior in high school time. The good news is if they make it to college and they go to college and they've experienced the year of college, the dropout drops dramatically. Okay? Because what they've decided is that it's for them. Right? They've left home and they've decided that it's for me. And some of you have that experience. Some of you young adults, older adults, I had that experience. You know, church, 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 it makes sense. We got it. We get it. We, we leave, you know, we, even though church was my idea as a teenager, I go to college and all of a sudden it seems less important than it used to. Why? Because really smart people tell me it's not all that important. And, and some of you experience that. And really what happened is you started thinking, you're like, well, is this mine? Or is it my parents? Is this what my parents believe or is this what I believe? And we wrestle there. And so parents, what we have to get good at is we have to get good at, at making sure that our kids know what's going on for them. And, and this is where the Bible comes into play. But a couple things to know about here. One, uh, the key to retention isn't good church experience. Some of you think that you, you've got this. You're like, you know what? But our church is good. Our church has stuff for kids to participate in. Our church has a thriving youth group. Our church has children's programs that are awesome. Our church does these fun things. And so therefore, because we do all of these things, that necessarily must mean that our kids are the ones that are going to stay. We pray at meals. So our kids must be the ones that are going to stay. We do all these things so our kids are going to stick around. But the research tells us that a good church experience for kids is not the key to their retention. It's just not. In fact, most of the people that drop out of church, some of them have had awful experiences, and they'll cite those, but most people that drop out of church in that 18 to 22-year-old time, they like the church. They don't have bad feelings about the church. They like the church. Here, you can read this. They aren't mad. This is, this is, from, uh, this is from the book Essential Church. Uh, they're not mad. Many still claim their faith. They still have a positive view of their pastor in church. They're not losing their religion. They just don't think it's all that important. They're not mad at church. They just don't think it's essential. They don't think it really has anything that they need. And because they see it as not essential, when something comes up against it, it's one of the first things to go. It's just the way it is. This is what we have to deal with. This is the reality of what our kids will struggle with when we don't make sure that their faith is essential for them. Okay, parents, grandparents, church, that falls on us. There's nobody else that we can put that on. It's our job to make sure that kids see their faith as essential. Not just something their parents believe, not just something their pastor believes, but something that is essential for them. And we see that. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at 1 through 5, and then we'll pick back up at 10. And we're going to look at this as, as uh, Paul is having a conversation with his spiritual son, uh, young in the faith, Timothy, and some of the things that he says. So you can follow along here, okay? Uh, we'll break this. 1 through 5 is broken up on two slides. But here it says, you should know this, Timothy. This is Paul talking to Timothy now. You should know this, Timothy. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. Okay, last days, um, I'm not trying to be prophetic. Like, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I, in case we're, Jesus is coming back. I don't know when that will be, but I know that in um, the church 
calendar, if we look at the prophetic history, we are actually living in the last days. The last days started with the ascension of Jesus Christ, and the last days will end with the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we are in the last days. When he says last days, he's talking now. He says in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Everybody get your surprise face. Things are difficult, in case you didn't know. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. That one's terrible. They'll be ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. You can kind of see that playing out in, in the world that we live in right now, right? Everything sacred is up for grabs. Everything sacred is being messed with. Life is being messed with. Marriage is being messed with. Freedom to, to honor and follow God freely without person. It's being messed with. This is what he says. He says, in the last days, that's what will happen. Everything will be messed with. Nothing will be sacred. People will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel. They'll hate what is good. It continues. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. I'm going to stop there for a second. Parents, grandparents, uh, people that are influential in the life of a child, I need you to look at me right now. Get this. Side note. You cannot teach your children that faith is essential for them. Because regardless of what you say, when they look at you, if they see you chasing after pleasure rather than God, that's what you're discipling them to. If you chase pleasure rather than God, I don't care what you say about God, you are discipling them to disobedience. That's what they see. Why do you chase pleasure? Because pleasure feels good. Why do you chase pleasure? Because you like it. It doesn't matter what you say. They see what you do. And as soon as they have the freedom to choose, what do you think they'll choose? Here's what he says. He says they, they, um, they love pleasure rather than God. They will act, oh, this is the terrible one. They'll act religious. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. This is even worse this is the really this is the most awful thing about it because what you see out there are people that have a form of godliness. They say things that sound like they should be true. You've heard some of them. I have no doubt about it. You've sat under the teaching of some of them. I have no doubt about it. We hear them. We read the books. We see it on YouTube. It's this thing. It has this form of godliness. It has enough things that, that kind of tickle the ears, and it sounds like it should be right, but it looks religious, but they are so far away from God, it's not even funny. And in the last days, the world will be full of those people, and that's what we send our kids out into. And if we haven't discipled them to understand the church is essential, then they go out there and religious-sounding, smart-sounding people are who are going to pour into them. See, there's something you need to understand here. If the kids don't see the church as essential, then why in the world are they going to fight for truth? Why would they fight for truth? 
when, when they go out of the house and their friends who they like and who they want to like them or their professors or their, their, their new people at school or, or whoever they're around, their new girlfriend or their new boyfriend or whoever it is who sounds religious because they have some of the right words, love. Love is a great religious word that we love to throw out there. See how I did that? I, I, I said we love to throw out love. Yeah, I, okay. I get it. My mistake. Okay, love is this great word that we throw out there. Grace. Oh, grace. Mercy. And so we build frameworks of religious sounding things on grace, love, mercy. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. God would never do that. Are you kidding me? God would never tell you that you're wrong. God would never require you to sacrifice so much. What? God would never send anybody to hell. Are you crazy? God would never tell you to leave someone that you love. God would never tell you to not follow your heart. God would never tell you no to something that your heart really wants. That's the problem. If our kids don't see truth as essential, they don't see the church as essential, then they have no reason to fight for it. And so if what you say sounds good, they'll fall in line. Why will they fall in line? Because one, it sounds good, and two, it's not really that important to me anyway. Certainly I'm not going to make a fight about something that sounds good. This is why we have an entire generation of people who think they are Christians that are far from truth. Because they've been raised in the church, they were taught truth, they participated in some activities like baptism or communion or confirmation or some of those things. And then they got to be 18. It stopped being of critical importance to them. And they walked away. And they remember some things that sound right. And if somebody comes up to them and says, there is no God, they'll say, no, oh, wait a minute, I know there's God. But when somebody comes up and they start sounding religious but twisting the truth, but all paths lead to God. You know, Jesus is for you, but I mean, Allah's pretty good too, right? And, and what about, you know, if, if you just like to worship in nature, that's okay. And we're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And they don't fight for truth because they don't see it. But here's what he says. In the last days, this is what your kids are going to face. And some of you have this idea, right, that you don't want to shove faith down the throat of your kids. I've had this conversation with several of you. I've had this conversation with people that have been angry at me. I mean, people that are viscerally angry at me about the way I raise my kids. I love that one, right? Thing is, they're usually other family members, right? Who are really feeling convicted about the way they're raising their kids, but that's fine, whatever. Uh, but here's the thing. They're like, well, I don't want to shove faith down their throat. So we think we're going to step back and we're going to let them learn to decide for themselves what it is they want. I got to be honest with you. That's crazy. It's crazy for two reasons. Do you really believe that heaven and hell are real? Do you really want your kids to be able to decide for themselves if they go to hell, if they go to heaven? So one is if we really believe salvation is, is true, we really believe that eternal consequences are real, then letting them decide for themselves is problematic. And two, here's the other problem with that. If you're not discipling them, somebody else is. Think of it this way. Your kids are a canoe. It's weak, I know, just go with it. Your kids are a canoe. 
you put the canoe in the water, right? And it's your job to paddle them where they need to go. It would be easier to let them go with the current. Oh, it's so simple to let them go with the current. Current does the work. Current gets you where you need to go. It would be so simple to let it go with the current. The problem with letting them go with the current is, we've discussed this before, the, <laughs> the easy way is never the correct way. Jesus says that. He says, hey, there's two roads, right? There's a highway to hell, and everybody's on it. And there is a footbridge, a pathway to heaven, or, and few people travel the pathway. Okay? So you could put them in the canoe, and you could let them go, and that would be fine right? But they're going. Okay, but our job is to row, and we row against the stream. And we row against the stream. We teach them truth. We grow them up in faith. We do these things. But here's what some of you think. Here's what the culture, because the culture around us is so smart, right? That every kid needs to decide for themselves. So here's what they tell you. Don't shove religion down your kids' throats. Don't try to force them to believe something that maybe they don't want to believe. It's a personal choice. So here's what they teach you to do. Put the kids in the canoe, give them the paddle, right? And when they're ready to decide, they will paddle whatever direction they want. Some of you maybe have bought into that myth, that lie. My parents bought into that lie for a long time. It's a lie of the enemy because there's no such thing as neutral. When your kids right that canoe, you can, you can hand them the oars and say, don't paddle till you're ready. But by the time they're ready to paddle, they are so far downstream. They have moved so far with the current. It's too late. This is what Paul's expressing to Timothy. He says, look, in the last days, this is going to be real. The struggle is real. This is going to be happening. You can't do that. And so Paul continues here, and see, this is where we see this is so good. He gets to 2 Timothy 3.10, and he says, but, but Timothy, you are not drifting aimlessly down the river. You're not going with the current. Why? Because these are the things that I taught you. And this, parents, if you want church to be essential, if you want faith, if you want Christ Jesus Christ and salvation to be essential for your kids when they leave your home. If you want them to know and love Jesus more than they know anything else, more than they love anything else, if you want them chasing Jesus more than they chase anything, then you need to follow what Timothy is teaching, or what Paul is teaching Timothy right here. He says, you, Timothy, certainly know better. Why? Because you know these 10 things. Here's what he says. First of all, he says, you know what I teach. This is Paul talking to Timothy, his spiritual son. He's saying, look, you know better. In the last days, people will act like this. People will do their own thing. The, the, the world is going to go crazy. But you, Timothy, you know what I teach. And what I love about what Paul says here is he doesn't say, you know what the church teaches. He doesn't say, you know what the pastor teaches. You know what your youth group believes. What he says here is, Timothy, you know what I teach. You know what I've taught you. Do you listen, if you're relying on me, if you're trusting me, 
with the entirety of your children's or your grandchildren's faith journey, I appreciate the vote of confidence. It is tragically misplaced. I will help your kids however I can. I'll help you however I can. But if you are trusting me to do that for your children, then you are making a tragic mistake. But Timothy says, or Paul says, I'm sorry, you know what I teach. Not what everybody else has told you, but you know what I sat down. You know what I poured into you. Let me ask you this. If your kids had an essay assignment, hey, what do mom and dad believe about heaven? What do mom and dad believe about hell? What do mom and dad believe about salvation and sin and creation and purpose for living? If your kids had the essay assignment to write down, what did mom and dad really believe about this? Do you know what they'd write? Are you confident in what they'd write? You should be. He continues. He says, not only do you know how I, what I teach, but you know how I live. See, and this is great because this is Timothy. I keep saying Timothy. This is Paul saying, not only do you know what I told you was important, but guess what? You know what I did with my everyday life. You watched me live. You saw how I behaved. You didn't just hear me say that it's important to be honest. You experienced my honesty. You didn't just say, uh, you didn't just hear me say that it's important to follow Jesus. You saw me following Jesus. This is Paul saying, look, you heard what I told you was important, and then you experienced me living it out. You can't, parents, you can't have one without the other and expect your kids to grasp it as essential for their life. You just can't. Um, There's a little story, um, somebody that I talked to at one point in time who was devastated, was devastated, because in, in this young man's mind, his father was above reproach. He talked about honesty, he talked about integrity, he talked about truthfulness, he talked about faith in Jesus Christ, he talked about being better than. Not being better than because we want to be puffed up, but being better than because we represent the God of the universe. And then he and his dad were getting on a train. His dad only bought one ticket. And when uh, and when the, the, what do they call that guy with the hat and the thing? The guy stamping the tickets. The conductor came through to, to, to do the thing and to collect. The dad said, oh, you know what? We dropped his. We don't, we don't know where it is. I, I mean, it's a silly story, right? But, but that kid's picture of Christianity and faith and behavior was crushed. Because... Now there's this dissonance between what they said and what they do. And which one is it now? And if it's not essential for my dad, who's one of the best guys I know, is it really essential for me? They have to match up. That's what Paul says. He says, you know my teaching, but you also know how I live. And then he says this, you know what my purpose is in life. Do your kids know what's important to you? Do they know what you're trying to accomplish in your life more than anything else? Again, if we asked them that, if we said, hey, what is your mom trying to accomplish more than anything else in her life? Well, would you be satisfied with their answer? And, and it goes on. He says, not only that, but, 
but you know uh, my faith. You know my faith. And you'll notice he doesn't say you know about the faith or you know about Christianity, but you know my faith, and it's personal, and it means something. Have your kids seen you struggle with your faith? Do they know that it's personal to you? One of the ways that we make this essential for kids is that they understand that this moves beyond the theoretical. Jesus is an idea. I'm going to say that more clearly because I have a feeling it got jumbled up. Jesus isn't an idea. Not a construct. Jesus isn't the symbol for a way to live. Do they know that your faith is critical to how you live? Have they seen you live it out critically? If they haven't, then again, why would they choose that to be critically foundational in their life? This is, but this is how Paul's telling Timothy. He's like, look, in the last days this is going to happen, but not you. Not you, Timothy, because we've done this. You've heard my teaching. You've seen my life. You've seen how I struggled through this. You've seen my faith in action. You know that it's real. You know my purpose is to, we all know Paul's purpose. He writes about it all the time. His purpose is to pour himself out for the sake of the gospel and make sure that everyone has no excuse. And he says, Timothy, you know this is essential because not just of what I've said, but because of what you've seen in my life. And he goes on, and my patience. Oh, parents, are you patient? I'm going to skip that one because it really hurts me. So, moving on. It's a big deal. In a world that wants things right this second, have your kids seen your patience? Your patience is a direct connection to the way that you trust God. My love, he continues, you've seen my love. And I love, I, I, I like how he does this here. He doesn't say, you've seen my love for you, right? As a parent, I don't have to tell my kids about how much, I mean, I, I tell them this all the time, but they know, I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to differentiate. Like, oh, you know what, guys, I, I love, you know, this, or I love you so much. And if you've ever had to have the conversation with your kids, let's do it this way. If you've ever had to have the conversation with your kids, where you have to say to them, yeah, I know I said that to those people, or I know I did that over here, but I would never treat you that way. <laughs> then they haven't seen your love, right? If you're having to tell them, yeah, 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 I know, I know that I acted like this over here, but I would never do that to you. I would never say that to your mom. But Paul says, you've seen my love, and it's indivisible, right? He doesn't differentiate. You've seen my love for the church. You've seen my love for those people. You've seen my love for you. You've seen my love for these. He just says, you've seen my love. It is what it is, and, 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 and it just permeates everything. So I ask you this, parents, grandparents, as you think about kids, people that are important in the life, if you're here and you don't have kids, you're, do people see your love? Not your love in specific scenarios but just love in general. Do they see it? Jesus talks about that, you know. He says, yeah, you, you love the people that you're supposed to, and that's all fine and good. Everybody does that. But what about the people that are hard? What about the people that are a struggle? 
Do you love them? Do your kids see you love them? Do your kids see that loving them is important to you? It was to Paul. He expressed that. Okay? My endurance. You've seen my endurance. When you think about endurance, do your, do your kids see your endurance? Do your kids see that you don't give up? Now, here's where we have to be honest with our kids, but you also have to not be silly. There was no confusion about what Paul was going through. So he says to Timothy, you've seen my endurance. Okay, that means if your kids are going to see your endurance, look at me. Stop putting up a false front for your kids. If your kids think everything is great, you're like, well, I'm protecting them from the harsh reality of the world. They think everything's good, and I want them to think everything good, and that's great. Except there's a problem. Everything isn't good. And, and they're going to find out that everything isn't good. And then what's going to happen when they find out that everything isn't good, but then they grew up their whole life thinking that everything was awesome and thinking that everything was perfect, and now all of a sudden, it's hard. And they look at you and they're like, well, everything you ever taught me is suspect because it's not like the picture that you painted for me. Listen, you're not doing your kids favors when you try to keep them away from the harsh realities of the world. You know what? You call sin, sin. Call evil, evil. It is what it is. It's not whining. Don't whine at your kids. Oh, come on. Don't whine. But tell the truth. But on top of that, tell them the truth and then show them how to stand up under the strength of God in face of that problem. See, this is what happens. This is, this is what happens to our kids is, is sometimes when we don't tell them the truth about how hard things are, the only thing we're really training them up in is quitting. Because then the only time they notice that something was hard is when we quit. So we disciple them in giving up when things get hard, even if we don't give up very often. We've trained them up to give up when things get, you know the problem with quitting? That's habit forming. It is habit forming to quit. Something gets hard, I'm gonna walk away. Job got hard, I'm gonna walk away from the job. Church got hard, I'm gonna walk away from the church. Wife got hard, I'm gonna walk away from my wife. My kids get hard, well, you know. Quitting is habit forming. But when we try to make this essential, we teach them about endurance. We teach them about fall through. And we teach them that when we fall through, we do it because God's strength is sufficient. Not because we're so great, but because there's nothing we can't stand up under when God gives us the strength to do it. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does not mean that you are tough enough to do whatever you want. It means that when you trust God's provision, he will give you the strength to stand up under whatever you have to deal with. Teach your kids that. Show them that. Tell them the truth about that. And see if they don't think that Jesus is a little more essential in their life. He finishes up here with, with a couple of things. He says, my persecutions, my sufferings, and my deliverance. And we say persecutions and sufferings, well, aren't those the same thing? And they're not really. Persecutions are the things that happen to you because you're a Christian. Do your kids know that? Do they know when you face persecutions? They should. Do they know when you missed out on a promotion? 
because you're a Christian? Do they know when being a Christian has cost you? Do they know that being a Christian for you was more important than money or climbing a ladder or taking a promotion that would take them away from family? It's not persecution, but it's hardship. Do they know that? Have you expressed that to them? You know, here's the thing. Your kids, they know. They know that integrity costs. They're taught that in elementary school. Yes, in a secular elementary school, your kids are taught that integrity costs. You know what they don't know? What your kids don't know? Do you think it's worth it? Yeah, integrity costs. Sure it does. But what they don't know is, do you think that the cost is worth it? That's how we make Jesus essential to them. It's how we make church essential to them. And then we get sufferings. And sufferings are not unique to Christians. This is a broken world and everybody suffers. There's cancer. There's illness. There's death. There's tragedy. There's hardships. And it affects everybody the same. But suffering is a unique opportunity for the Christian to stand or fail. See, when there's suffering in the world, there's no expectation. You want to wallow, wallow. You want to flip out, flip out. You want to get stuck and never move forward, get stuck and never move forward because there's no expectation in the world about how to handle those things. But God has told us that he's got something better. God has told us that he's in control. And so suffering for the Christian gives you a neat, unique opportunity to show your children, to show your grandchildren, to show people in your life that Jesus is real, that God is real. And the more you stand up under suffering and you don't fold and you don't give in and you don't run away and you have endurance and you show love and your faith shows up, the more that happens, the more Christ becomes essential. And then here's this last one. My deliverance, look what he says. He says, you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. Sure, you know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He was thrown in jail, beaten, stoned, dragged out of the city, left for dead. And he says, you know that. But here's the thing that he teaches about the essential nature of God. He says, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Your kids need to know that God's worth it and that God shows up and that it's hard, but that it's real. And then we just, we'll finish these last couple little verses here. It says, yes, and everyone, this is Paul talking to Timothy again. He said, look, in the last days, everybody is going to act like this. Everybody's going to think it's not important. Everybody's going to do their own thing, but not you, Timothy. Not you, because you've seen these characteristics poured out. I've shared with you. It's more than just what I told you, but it's what you experience. You know how important this is. And he says this, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a great plug, right? Hey, be a Christian, because everybody persecutes. No. Okay? It says everybody will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters will flourish. You ever think about that? You teach your kids that? 
They get ready to leave your house, and you're like, look, you're going to go. And religious-sounding people that are killing it, they're famous, they got books, right? They got jets. Churches are like a million people. They're killing it, bro. They're still wrong. Tell your kids that. They need to hear it. They need to know that when you get out there in the real world, that sometimes it's going to look like we're wrong. The enemy is going to make it seem like we're wrong. And smart-sounding people are going to look at you like you're an idiot for believing these things. But it doesn't matter. This is what he says. He says, but you, Timothy, the one I love, the one I've poured into, the one I've poured myself out for, you, you can almost hear it. He's like, look at me. Hear me. Right? Here's what he says. But you, remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they're true. You know it in your heart. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what people are saying. It doesn't matter the pressure. This is important for you. This is worth fighting for. This is important. You know it's true. You can trust those who taught you. Here's what you need to be able to say to your kids. Every day, every day, but I'm thinking specifically about the day they leave home. See, you need to be able to say this every day, but the day they leave home specifically, you need to be able to look them in the eye and you need to be able to tell them, look, it's going to be hard. It's going to be trouble. The world is going to tell you that you're wrong. They're going to be religious sounding people. They're going to try to lead you astray. And you're going to think, well, they've got everything going for them and I've got nothing going for me. And why shouldn't I listen to them? It's easier anyway. But not you. Not you, Riley. Right? Not you. You know better. You know what's true. I've taught you what's true. You can trust me. You've seen not a perfect life, but you've seen it lived out. And where I've messed it up, I've apologized for it. And, I, and I've repented for it. And I've tried harder. Not you. Yeah, the world is going to get weird, but not you. This is the conversation you need to be able to have with your kids. Church, this is the conversation that we need to be able to have with our kids. Not you. You know, and you can trust. This is what it comes down to. And so, you know, here's what I need you to think about. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, prepare to close this out. And here's what I want you to think about. And it's just simple. It's what are you teaching? Listen, are you submitting to the gospel? If you, as a parent, grandparent, or member of this church, are showing up here all the time, thank you. I'm glad you're here. But if you're here and you are not submitted to the gospel, then I want to be really clear with you, and this is going to sound harsh, and I'm sorry, and let's talk about it, because I don't mean to be extra hard with you today, but you're part of the problem. I mean, if you're showing up here all the time, but you're living life like it doesn't matter, like church doesn't matter, like God doesn't matter, like it's not important, like it's not essential, and, and your kids see that, and other kids see that, and people are picking up on that, then you're part of the problem. Because our kids are growing up then in this environment where they say, well, showing up is good enough. It's not really all that important. 
And then they're going to go and other people, and they're going to say, well, yeah, you know what, though? You, know, you can believe what you want to believe. Maybe it affects life. Maybe it doesn't. Are you submitted to the gospel? So church, that's critical for all of us, but parents, oh my goodness. It's important for you. Right? Is the church essential for you? You know, really what I'm asking is what chair are you sitting in? And you'll remember that the first week of this series, we had the three chairs out. There was first chair dads, moms, second chair moms and dads, third chair moms and dads. You can go back and listen to that, but I'll give you just this, this quick rundown. And you can ask yourself, what chair are you in? Remember, first chair dads, moms, they were moms and dads that loved Jesus more than they love anything else. And statistically speaking, moms and dads that love Jesus more than anything else, and they live that truth out in their life, guess what? They raise kids that love Jesus more than anything else, period. But you can't love Jesus more than anything else if it's not going to show up in your life. But when you do, you raise kids that love Jesus. Third chair dads, moms, these are people that, that couldn't care less about Jesus. Guess what? They raise kids that, by and large, couldn't care less about Jesus. The hard one was the second chair dads, second chair moms. These are the people that say we love Jesus. These are the people that say Jesus is important. These are the people that show up sometimes. These are the people that say all the right things, but they're hypocrites. They're lukewarm about Jesus. They love Jesus when it serves them, and they ignore Jesus when it doesn't. Here's the, here's the truth. Second chair dads raise third chair kids. Just is what it is. Second chair dads that fake it about Jesus raise kids that hate Jesus. They don't expect us to be perfect, but they know when we're lying. They know when we're hypocrites, and they hate it. So gut check time for you. Are you submitted to the gospel? Are you teaching it as essential? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We worry about our kids, about this next generation. If we have them at home, we really worry about them. But... There's nobody here that's not worried about where the generations are going. And we wonder, is there going to be a time when, when, when um, we have culturally just moved so far away from the church that, that people can't find? I, we worry. We talk about that. We wonder. We talk about lost generations in the church, and we, how do we fix it, and how do we... You know what? It starts at home. Father, and your word clues us in on that, that the way we love and care for our children is critical. What we teach them and what we pour into them is critical. And how we show them that you are essential for us is critical. Thank you for that truth. Father, thank you for leaving us um, with a very clear path. It's not always easy, but it's not confusing. And Father, I pray this morning that if we have some here that are struggling with this, that this would be a time for them to submit to you maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth, but that they would submit to you. They would share those plans of submission and they would, they would move forward with new hope and new passion and new purpose. Because Father, our kids are worth it. We love you and we thank you. Amen.